Dan? Zav? What has seven legs and three wings but no eyes? I don't know. Right, well, we might need to Google it then. We need the answer to get through this door. It's the puzzles episode. Just before we started recording, I decided that I really would like an icy drink. <laughs> and I already had a glass of water on my desk. And instead of going to the kitchen to put some ice in my water, I did go to the kitchen, grab a handful of ice <laughs> from the freezer, and then walk it back to my room <laughs> and pour it all into my glass. I mean, so I've, my, I've heard of dumb very things. cold. I mean, why? Yeah. I have very, very cold hands. <laughs> uh, anyway, hello and welcome to DM Me, the D&D discussion podcast that we promise isn't recorded in anyone's mother's basement. I'm Zav. And I'm Dan. And this week we've decided to talk a little bit about how to run a puzzle-based game. We say this, this was... week, but we do, we do actually mean this month. This is we the do actually mean only this one month. coming out in September. We have had some locational difficulties locational difficulties some a combination of sort of teething problems from you know distance and various other technical issues that have meant that we just have not been able to record an episode until now so i mean i apologize to all eight of you (laughs) (laughs) that listen regularly um, we thank you for your continued cooperation. We thank you for your patience. That just makes it sound like a hostage situation. I'm sorry, you are free to go. You don't have to listen. But please do. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please do. Anyway, the topic of puzzles um, was suggested by a listener called George. Um, Hi, George. We won't, we won't give his surname, just in case anyone decides to track him down. Um, and he wanted to know... As someone who isn't a fan of combat and is much more interested in campaigns which are based around riddles and puzzles, he wanted to know how we feel, basically, about running a puzzle game and how one could run run a puzzle game. And he also mentioned that he's in a group which really does love combat and, you know, the sort of bread and butter of D&D. So I thought we could split this episode into two chunks. The first half being how to run a puzzle-based game, and the second half about how to integrate puzzles into a sort of more traditional game. What do you think about that? I think that's a very good idea. Oh, I don't know if you're asking me or the listeners, but I mean, oh, if no, you weren't asking... asking you're asking the listeners, okay. I've, no, I'm definitely asking you, because oh, I mean, okay. they can't currently reply. You, no, they, they you could. the listener, can't currently reply. Um, but feel free to reply via our email address. <laughs> no, they, no, we'll end the podcast here, we'll wait for the replies, and then we'll do the rest of the podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah, send us a tweet. <laughs> Thank you very much. And remember to DM no. me. <laughs> nice, good sign-off. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it, that saved us the ending. Okay, so the first chunk. Oh, just to say... I don't know what Dan's got planned necessarily, but I definitely didn't really want to talk much about puzzle design. Um, 
there's a wealth of material on the internet and innumerable pre-made puzzles at places like the DMs Guild, which again, I can't recommend enough. Hopefully though, we're going to talk about some general principles that you'll find useful. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. Fantastic. Um, to start us off, I just want to say that riddles and puzzles, the main thing that you should make sure to focus on when designing them or producing them, uh, either in bulk or as a one-off, they need to be solvable by the players. And I know that sounds very obvious, but the main frustration with puzzle games, definitely for DMs, is the overwhelming feeling that either the players aren't seeing something blindingly obvious, or they've seen it before and it's way too easy. What do you think about that, Dan? I agree. I mean, I think in the essence of a puzzle, it should be done by the characters as opposed to the players. Yes, to an extent. Well, yeah, because I mean, obviously, if you're playing a dumb character, Mm -hmm. they're probably going to struggle a bit more with the puzzle than A, the rest of your party members, and B, the the player who's playing the character. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I sort of, I don't, but I, I sort, of, I do agree with you to an extent. But I also, this is sort of one of the instances in the instances in the game where I think breaking I sort of allow, I, I sort of allow a little bit of breaking character. Perhaps the character themselves doesn't solve, you know, the stupid barbarian or whatever doesn't solve the riddle. But I'd allow sort of a bit of out of character crosstalk yeah. between the players. Um, where they no, sort I of think work it out fair. together, and perhaps in character, you know, somebody else would have come up with a solution. Yeah. Well, yeah, but also, um, you know, it can be a lovely little moment if um, a sort of less intelligent character stumbles into the correct answer. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> always that's because... always a lot funnier than the clever. Guy yeah, definitely, solving. and it was just because it so happens that the um, player of that particular character, you know, was you know, able to solve that riddle before any of the others. It doesn't mean that they should be... They should definitely shouldn't be deprived of that success because of, you know, because of um, how their characters run. But on the other side, um, what do you think about allowing ability checks for sort of extra sort of help with the puzzles? Like, if you've got sort of hyper-intelligent wizard character or artificer or something like that and you want a bit of help with the puzzle. Do you reckon you should be able to roll an intelligence check for a bit of help? Or I think so. I feel yeah. like in well, that's the essence of the game is rolling the checks. Mm. And I feel like if you're gonna do run a puzzle or a riddle, yeah, then an element of it should be thinking about it, but there should also be elements about it that are based on the dice rolls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I. Th- Checks should definitely be allowed for helping solve um, riddles and puzzles and stuff like that. But I definitely would advise against allowing a player to roll a dice and you just giving them the answer. No, yeah, obviously no. That's, that defeats the purpose of the very, puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, the purpose of the puzzle really is not... I mean, obviously it's in character to challenge the player characters within the game world. That's the point of it. But you're there to play a game and have fun together and what's fun about riddles and puzzles is solving them so you don't want to deprive them of that experience just because they rolled a nat 20 or whatever but i think 
getting using ability checks to get hints i have absolutely nothing against i think you should have perhaps a few clues on hand where if a player makes a you know a religion check an arcana check a straight intelligence check whatever that's relevant to the subject matter of the riddle or the puzzle then they should definitely be able to you know get a bit of a hint because yeah. their character has experience in that field yeah exactly i think on on that point of um, dc checks i think maybe having different different levels for um, what information gets given so if you roll a dc if you roll like a 15 you get some of the information if you roll a uh, 20 you get slightly more information yeah yeah fantastic because then that's a way of managing you know players stats and yeah. involving them in the game if you know everyone you'd hope that everyone at the table is roughly on the same sort of playing field in terms of riddle and puzzle solving ability but different characters with different um intelligence ratings will get different clues and of course you're perfectly welcome to share each clue with the table at large but i mean i'm perfectly okay with texting a given character who's just rolled a high check um one of the clues and not sharing it with the group because then that makes that particular character more likely to solve the riddle as opposed to anyone yeah, else. Yeah, I think, I think the idea of whispers in the game should also be taken into consideration because there are certain times in which one character will know more than another. This, this doesn't exactly relate specifically to the puzzles. It can also be yeah. in, insight checks and stuff like that where you end up you roll higher than the rest of your group and you're the only one who rolled high enough to access that information. Yeah. And then obviously whether or not you choose to share that information with the rest of the group or keep it to yourself is that's yeah. up to you. Yeah. That's completely up to you. That's your choice. I suppose the next point that I would like to make is not really my own point <laughs> to be honest because I try to use puzzles fairly sparingly in my games. I don't know if it's just because I'm with a group of players who are not necessarily puzzle-oriented. Again, they're much more um, sort of role-play-oriented. They like a bit of combat, but I haven't really I haven't really done many puzzles. I, th I should probably introduce more, to be honest. No, but, we're all thick um, as shit, like, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... I didn't want to say it, but that's the reason. <laughs> um, so I spoke to my flatmate who plays... Um, a decent number of RPGs, and he sort of fallen out of love with D and D in the past couple of years because he doesn't, again, like George, doesn't really like the combat as much as the puzzles and the role playing, um, and he sort of runs a lot of puzzle based games whenever he gets a chance to run. And he told me that the most important thing, which I think is probably true, is that you've got to design puzzles so the players can fail forwards definitely under no circumstances allow a failure to solve one particular riddle or puzzle to completely stop the player's progress that is an absolute killjoy that ruins the game for basically everyone playing well yeah because i mean if if the puzzle is an integral part of that mission and you yeah. you can't do that puzzle then yeah and the key, and it doesn't feel very heroic, <laughs> which is this sort is of the point of the game. Lots of, you know, everyone loves playing a comedic character, and there's a lot of comedy in D&D &E in general, but in the end, you're playing the game because you want to be a hero. And if your group of, you know, legendary adventurers can't um, 
work out what walks on four legs in the morning, three at noon, and two at night, then you're gonna, you know, you can have a bad gaming session. What does walk on four legs in the morning, three at noon, and two at night? Um, a spider who works in the circus. You're welcome, everyone. I'm still confused. <laughs> Why would a spider be working at the circus? <laughs> like, they're quite small. <laughs> All of this is being cut. <laughs> if your players do fail to complete a puzzle, which is entirely possible, try and make that failure narratively interesting. If those players are unable to complete a puzzle or a riddle that you've set out for them, why is it because they couldn't work out an answer, they didn't have the skill to, you know, perform this particular task, they didn't have the strength or the speed or something like that. I'm sure they've met someone on their travels or something that would help them complete it. So their failure or their inability to complete this certain thing just generates a completely new quest, which is fantastic because if they're, they're on their main quest, they reach a sort of they reach an impasse because they just completely can't reach this next thing without solving this particular problem, then all they've done is create a little side quest for themselves where they have to complete another set of tasks or whatever, go to whatever place in order to either get the skills or retrieve an object or get into contact with a person that would help them get through, that would help them get to where they need to be. Because, I mean, it comes back to this sort of classic trope of DMs complaining about, I don't know, you see loads of things about, oh, you know, I planted this really, really crucial NPC in this, you know, in the woods or whatever, and they the players stumbled across them, they did something stupid, and now that NPC... That now that NPC is dead, <laughs> so I have so I have no idea where to go with the story because that PC was completely crucial to my whole plan, and that is a similarly ridiculous situation. <laughs> you should never have, you should never have anything where if something happens that could potentially happen out of your control, if anything like that occurs, and that. And that NPC is killed, that puzzle is unsolvable, and that completely truncates that section of the adventure. That's not the player's fault. It's not the player's fault that they killed the crucial NPC, because how on earth were they supposed to know? That is, you know, it's the essence of the game that the players are allowed to do basically whatever they want. So that, unfortunately, is your fault as the DM for limiting their options that yeah, much. Yeah, I think you... Like, as a DM, you should never limit your players in what they can do. To an extent. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously. But, yeah. but I mean, yeah. a large part of the game is based on the character's choices. And if, and you need to make contingencies. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, it's really not that difficult. If, like, you know, there have been a couple of occasions where I've made the mistake of introducing someone that I thought was going to be an important NPC who has died like been disposed of had to go somewhere else because of some d 
development and you just shift the information that that NPC had to someone else. <laughs> it's really not that difficult. Just make it so that someone else had the crucial information all along. Someone else had the skills that were required all along. You know, these things, it's really not, you know, it's not enormously complicated to solve. Uh, and yet, you know, I see it everywhere. Um, but anyway, the point of that <laughs> was that um, that also applies to puzzles. Just make sure whatever you do, don't make a puzzle the be-all and end-all. Or if it is, give them a way to solve it beyond sitting there for hours trying to work it out. Yeah, nobody wants to turn up to their session to try and solve a puzzle and spend the entire session trying and failing to solve the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty disappointing. Um, I'd like to raise the point that, calling back to earlier where it was... Um, letting the players solve the puzzle mm -hmm. uh, physical props yes if you're puzzles yeah if you're able to make the puzzle that the the characters would experience do it yeah because absolutely. the immersion is so much more real yeah if you can phys if you can physically see what's going on around you in fact it doesn't even have to be like a prop it could just be a diagram showing what they see in front of them. Yeah, I think people get put off definitely when they hear things like, oh, just make the puzzle yourself. And they're like, you know, I'd, it's been a long time since DT or woodwork at school. Like, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't made anything properly for a long time, but it can be as simple as a page with a grid on it, like sort of Battleships-esque, where, I don't yeah. know, your players are trying to wander through this room and all, and there are loads of tiles on the floor, and some of them shatter and fall through when you step on them. Um, and they're, you know, the point of the puzzle is to try and work out which, you know, which slats can be stepped on and which can't be. And then all you need to do is provide them a grid, the size and shape of the room, with squares on it, and then they can cross them out when they shatter one or something like that. It can be that simple, but just anything visual to help them see what their characters can see because it's hard enough to solve a puzzle when you can see it, let alone when you're trying to imagine it. Exactly. Visualisation is such a key part of the game. It's it's reasons like that why um, maps are made and yeah like the theater of the mind is very useful for small encounters where mm -hmm. you don't have to where it's, it's going to be a short encounter and there's not much yeah. to consider yeah but big encounters difficult puzzles if you can get them down on a piece of paper that's yeah. ideal and there's, it's definitely true that some puzzles and some riddles are better not written down because, I mean, something about, you know, their being, something about the way that they're phrased, if they're a riddle, or something about the way that they're constructed, if they're a puzzle, might completely give it away. So it's better to have it sort of sitting in their mind. But I think, by and large, it's better to produce a prop, if you can, or a sheet of paper that will just enable your players to visualise um, visualize the game in a sort of proper way that enables them to think about it in three dimensions because otherwise you know it's it's <laughs> it's very impossible very impossible it's almost impossible to think laterally if you can barely imagine you know the question um but yeah yeah like and also 60 about 65 percent of the population are visual visual learners to say but yeah 
and yeah. obviously so, like there's kinesthetic and um, auditory learners, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot more difficult. Well, the kinesthetic part of it could be the prop making. Yeah. And yeah. having like music in the background, that re- if it does relate to the puzzle. Yeah. Well, I mean, the auditory learners have it great because the whole game is talking to the DM and the DM talking exactly. back to you. Yeah. So, you know, they're sorted, but the visual and kinesthetic individuals are really going to struggle um, if you can't, you know, produce something. And that sort of brings us on to a sort of another mini point, which is that different people, you know, they solve things in completely different ways and they experience things in completely different ways. So just because, I don't know, you ran this same puzzle with another group, you know, last year and they got it immediately, doesn't mean that you should expect this next group to get it immediately. Perhaps it was too easy, but also it's entirely possible that these people just think in a completely different way. And there are other problems that the second group will be able to solve in an instant. The first group would never have gotten, just because, you know, a collection of different experiences, different ways of thinking, mean that different things work for different people. Um, So... Don't get frustrated, please, if your players can't solve a puzzle. And use the experience to be to design puzzles that are more appropriate for their way of thinking in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that moronicity is, like, an essential part of the game, really. Moronicity? More, I, yes, that's... <laughs> that's the, ironic. <laughs> that's the... Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's one of the things that you can give your people a straight way to solve like a situation or to just end a battle and your group will go and do the most backward way of sorting that situation out and that's the essence of the game yeah definitely don't get angry about roundabout solutions yeah it I was, think what was of... it there was um it was the one of the first sessions i think it was the first session we did and we were we were in a cave with a goblin and instead of like going through the door we decided to set up an elaborate trap with a barrel <laughs> hanging from the ceiling oh, that would yeah. crash onto whoever walked out of that door yeah yeah and this this sort of brings me on to the next point which is don't ever get angry with your players for roundabout solutions just because you didn't think of it doesn't mean it's incorrect like that that mentality uh, is just a bad way that that is where lots of the complaints about dms that i've heard stem from when just because it wasn't the dm's answer that means that it's not the correct answer. Which, I mean, it might seem counterintuitive, but think about the example that Dan just gave in our first ever game. That was a, you know, that was a fight that I'd set up, and I was quite eager for the players to have that fight, and I designed, and I put all the stats down, things like that. But they designed an elaborate trap, I rolled the damage dice for what that trap would have caused, and it one-shot this enemy. And that is fine. And I know that (laughs) there are, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but like there are there are definitely other people who I know who would be keen just to make that en- enemy survive that trap just so they could have this fight so they could play with the you know the creature they created um but just because it's not how you envisioned something happening in your head doesn't mean it's incorrect exactly you have and- to let the players play it out. 
and yeah, go along with it because sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's yeah, funnier definitely. than you expected. But also, sometimes it's better than your answer. Like, yeah. if you've written a riddle and the answer, you know, you know, you think you've got the perfect answer for it, but then the players provide a they provide an answer and you think and you're like oh that's not the answer i wanted but then you look at the riddle and you think no actually that makes perfect sense like it's not the answer i wanted but that works then they have solved the riddle <laughs> they might not have given the answer that you wanted but they have solved it they have done it successfully they have given an answer that's appropriate and they've succeeded so don't ever you know don't ever let your players give an answer that's completely appropriate and say, oh, that's not right. Because at that point, they've stopped having fun. As soon as you say that, as soon as they've given a well-thought-through answer that makes complete sense and you say, no, that's incorrect, you have completely ruined that game for them. Yeah, and um, as, as, as soon as you're not having fun anymore, the game in itself becomes meaningless. Exactly. The next point that we're going to come on to is sort of about a puzzle-based game, but it's also sort of about an ordinary game with puzzles involved. Um, it's always make sure that the puzzles are appropriate to the dungeon. And when I say dungeon, I don't necessarily mean dungeon. I mean whatever the campaign or session is that you're running. Make sure that the puzzles are appropriate. Say you're infiltrating an ancient monastery and there's loads of, you know, hyper-dexterous monks. They may very feasibly have dexterity-based puzzles that involve jumping between things because the aim of this puzzle is to defend their home, isn't it? So and if, um, they... in their home, they're going to play by their rules and they're going to play to their strengths. Well, exactly. So they come home, they hop between these things, and it's very easy for them. But basically, everyone else who turns up can't do it. So that is a perfectly valid <laughs> defence mechanism. Um, how? But take, for example, goblins. If you're infiltrating their lair, they'll basically never have anything more complex than a slightly hidden pit trap or something. You've got to think about why that puzzle is there. People are absolutely obsessed with... With using riddles, which I completely understand. Riddles are great, but they are by their very nature less effective than like a magical fire trap or some swinging blades or something, because it's completely possible with just a bit of thought to get past a riddle completely unscathed. <laughs> like if you get the answer right, you're fine, which is obviously not what the person who set that riddle up once not not you the dm i'm talking about the the villain or the enemy or whatever whose lair you're trying to get through this makes riddles for example perfect for an arrogant wizard who thinks everyone else is stupid which like to them means that setting up this riddle makes the room completely impenetrable to absolutely everyone else because absolutely everyone else is beneath me no one will ever outsmart me no one will ever solve this fantastic riddle that i've come up with so i'm completely safe but a riddle would not be at all appropriate for a manticore with an intelligence of seven whose best trap is its teeth. They don't give a shit about riddles. Like, they really don't, because anything that comes in, they're just going to crunch. <laughs> they're not fussed. Um, so you've really just got to contextualise your puzzles and put them in the right place, basically. Um, well, it wasn't really related to puzzles, but um, ability checks... Yep. Like, 
a series of ability checks in order to see if you can maybe pass through a certain scenario or even yep. to sort of solve a puzzle that's that should be a part of the game it, it might not be utilized all the time but yeah. it should be and it normally in these situations the dc increases as you go through the tasks yeah so it might start off with a dc of five maybe but then yeah. by the time you're at the end it's a dc of 20 or 25 and yeah. unless you're rolling ridiculously high yeah adjust you aren't the level of course yeah exactly but unless you are rolling ridiculously high you won't be able to solve that yeah yeah and that's sort of starting to shift into how you'd run a non-puzzle based game with puzzles in it like that is a fantastic way of that's i mean it's a way of bridging the gap between the players who really really love puzzles and the players who really really don't is using you know intelligent ways of enabling characters to make ability checks to solve you know problems that they're experiencing if a player comes up with a creative solution for how to get away from all these falling rocks or whatever that is sort of solving a puzzle in and of itself you present them with this with a scenario and they provide an intelligent solution they've worked something out that is sort that is almost puzzling <laughs> you know that's how if that's some, how someone's brain works then you've already helped them to you know involve themselves in a type of game that they might not necessarily have wanted just by you know providing a point of access does that make sense yeah dan do you want to make one final point before we go for a break yes i was going to talk about time limits and um right when you're placed in puzzle situations occasionally it is a time scenario Mm -hmm. Be it that you start solving the puzzle and the above, the the roof above you starts to separate and sand starts pouring in. Yeah, and classic. If you don't do, exact, and if you don't do it quick, if you don't solve the puzzle quickly enough, you are going to be swallowed by the sand. And yeah. nobody wants that. But Well, you know, unless you're is, like a worm or some shit. Oh, that's true. Worms do like Although they're quite like wet, don't they? Unless you're like a cactus. They, yeah. Well, I mean... You know what? The more I think about it, the more I think maybe nothing likes get, getting covered in sand. Sand castles. Yeah. Sand castles are sand, Dan. Although, Buckets. to be fair, I wouldn't like to be covered in humans. So, you know, that's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, what you were saying sort of brings us back to what we were saying in Fight Club that like anything that ramps up the tension really helps. <laughs> like it just helps the players. First of all, it helps them think quicker. It's just like how, you know, you always write faster in exams than you do anywhere else just because yeah. the tension, the adrenaline really helps your mind go. And situational also, pressure is yeah such a good motivator yeah exactly and it really introduces that element of risk that all players of D&D want really no one wants a, a cushy comfortable game because you know real life is f like it's largely risk free for a lot of people <laughs> you know you get up you 
you know, you have your breakfast, you go to work, you come back, you know, and the most dangerous thing you'll do in the average day is cross the road. Like, so players don't really want that kind of game in their fantasy world as well. They want something that will really push them and their characters to their limits. And on that note, I think we'll go for a break. But oh, does anyone there ever feel free? Because I want someone to worship me. But oh, and we're back. Thank you for waiting. I hope you enjoyed the middle part. <laughs> Your call is important to us. <laughs> Please hold. Da, 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 da. I was doing the Me Channel theme tune. Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I figured when you stopped doing the Me Channel theme tune. Fantastic. So in this half of the episode, we're going to talk about running a standard game that will please the puzzlers at the table. And our first point is sort of go and listen to Fight Club, <laughs> our last episode, because I think... Wait, go and listen to what? Fight Club. <laughs> no, no, we're not allowed to talk about that. Go and listen to... <laughs> making combat interesting, or making a combat complicated, as we've said before, gives the puzzler at the table something to solve while the others defend them. We're not going to go into massive detail about it because we've talked about it before, but just providing another element to combat that gives the puzzler something to do with their brain while everyone else is hacking and slashing. They can be hacking and slashing as well, but you want to give them something else, another objective to complete while, you know, everything else is going on. Yeah, because if the... Say you're, you say you're playing a wizard, a, a class that is intelligence-based, yeah. and you run out of spells, you need something to do, really. You can do the cantrips... Yes, you want, but there might be another part of the of the map that you're not seeing, and that requires your attention because you could point it out and figure out a way to stop where it was happening. Bringing it back to the um, the archer at the top of the hill who's trying to dislodge a boulder. Mm-hmm. That's you. You want to stop that archer. Yeah, that 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 is. It's a it's a very basic kind of. Puzzle. Yeah, I mean, it's really just puzzle. some it's way just... to introduce an element of making you think <laughs> into the game. Yeah. Because otherwise, I can completely see why it might be frustrating who's, for someone whose brain works that way. Because, you know, you're doing a lot of mindless tasks <laughs> one by one, which, you know, for someone who really wants to flex their intellectual muscles, you know, it can be frustrating. Just one thing that's just popped into my head is for players more than it is for DMs. If you know you're playing in a combat-heavy game and you're more of a puzzler, A, speak to your DM about it. Say, you know, try and come up with some ways in which... Well, say it more politely than this, obviously. But try get them to try and come up with ways that they can integrate more puzzles into the game because, you know, that's the kind of thing you're interested in. And B, produce a character who's a bit of a puzzler <laughs> it's that simple really just produce an intelligent character who perhaps in character is not particularly interested in fighting or perhaps isn't even very good at fighting but the reason they're with the party is to you know 
for their own sort of intellectual pursuits. So they're there as the face and the brain. They do lots of the talking, yeah. they do lots of the problem solving. And having someone in the group who's like that really gets the DM to think about ways in which they can make the game a bit more interesting and more relevant to that character as well as that player. And if you're struggling to think of names for that character, a good place to start is Sue, you know? <laughs> Sue Doku. Oh, Classic. Okay. Oh, so we've been really funny today. Yeah. This is a My ban got lifted after last week, it's fine. And by last <laughs> oh, yeah. week, I mean last month. Last month. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about the ban. That might have to be reinstated. Anyway. No, this has to be approved by the whole of our creative team. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring up the one other person. Who we no, know no, the many about. other people in our creative team. Oh, yeah, team. sorry. There are many, many people in our creative team. We have an extensive business. It's extensive. And if, but if the government's listening... We don't. Please don't tax us. <laughs> we have no money. Okay, so the next thing is how we're going to hit the right level for riddles for a sort of normal game. Obviously, you've got a, if you've got a game full of puzzlers, then you can up the difficulty of the riddles. Like, you know, if you're playing with your, with your local pub quiz champions, then, you know... Give oh, them... Three's Company, man. I'd Three's Company. Man. Then give them... Oh, boy. <laughs> a... <laughs> At our local pub, we've got a um, a group called Three's Company who have... who are our arch rivals <laughs> in the pub quiz. They are absolutely destructive. They are too powerful and must be stopped. They are three powerful. They are three They powerful. are three powerful. But um, what I was going to say is if you're sort of working with a, a group who are, you know, not necessarily massively into riddles, but, you know, you want to involve riddles in your game, or one of your players wants riddles involved in the game, then it can be really, really difficult to find riddles of the right level. Um, so I was watching... There's a fantastic uh, lady on YouTube called Dale Kingsmill. That's D-A-E-L space... K-I-N-G-S-M-I-L-L. She is an Australian lady who does loads of really interesting videos about mythology and stuff like that, but she also does a ton of D&D videos. And I think it was in the one about running a D&D game for her family, which I recommend listening to anyway, because, I mean, it's great for ways in which you can try and introduce D&D to, you know, new players and how you can run an interesting game. But there was one section where she talks about... Um, repurposing a sort of an old adventure that was from Pathfinder she wanted to sort of change it a little bit for, pe for people like her mum who were in her group who really didn't like the combat that much and she replaced the combat with a riddle on a door how they could, uh, which is a way that they were going to get into this sort of witch's home I think I think it was a witch or something like that but she had the <laughs> what I think is an ingenious idea of just of getting the right level of riddle she found a box of lateral thinking puzzles <laughs> that she was given when she was 12 <laughs> oh man i love lateral because... thinking puzzles they're just they're good brain workouts and they, they are, are probably fantastic. a very good situ like a good um idea to on and a basis yeah. of where to start thinking they of puzzles exactly the right level because lots of players are sort of there to be silly mess about with their friends kind of thing which is perfect and sort of a box of 
puzzles, which are meant to be challenging for 12-year-olds, is probably about the right level <laughs> for your group, honestly. Just there's that, there's that classic meme of um, someone's just, a DM's just typed into Google, good puzzles for three-year-olds. Because that's about the average age of your body. Mentally, exactly. Exactly. And that's definitely not saying that players are stupid. I know that they're all, you know, everyone is there to have fun and they're not necessarily there for a brain workout. And also, when you're under pressure, which you should be putting your players under pressure when it comes to puzzles, there should be some incentive for them to hurry up. And people do think differently in those situations. Yeah, they, they will find it difficult to solve the puzzle because as soon as you're expected or asked to do anything in front of other people, it becomes basically impossible. If you were sitting at home scrolling you know, down Twitter and you someone had posted something and you, you could probably work it out fairly quickly but as soon as there's the pressure of a other people around you and b purposeful pressure from the dm it you know it becomes difficult to process these things so if you can acquire any of those little lateral thinking puzzles either buy a box or go on the internet there's definitely loads available use those as your riddles they're really really fantastic um they're challenging but definitely not impossible for players and they'll hopefully keep your players thinking for five or ten minutes, which is about what you want. You don't really want them pushing too far beyond that or too much of the game becomes focused on it. Okay, well, the last piece of advice that I'd give to a DM who's trying to run a a sort of slightly more puzzly standard game is just, or someone who's running a puzzle game in general, is just to read as many puzzles as you possibly can on the internet and that might sound kind of obvious but hop on the dms guild hop on reddit reddit's a good source reddit i mean there are dark areas of reddit be careful but but go to the good ones r r forward slash wholesome memes (laughs) r forward slash wholesome memes. that's not really good for puzzles but as soon as you're done with that r forward slash puzzles Thank you, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, then also just just scour the internet for puzzles, riddles, and lateral thinking questions. Riddles and lateral thinking questions you can get from absolutely anywhere and just pick the ones that are the right flavour for your campaign. Puzzles, specifically, you can get loads and loads and loads of D&D puzzles from the internet. Again, the DMs Guild is fantastic. You might have to pay 99p or something for a pack of 100 puzzles, but that is, I think that's well worth it. That's, that's, less, than one, that's less than one pence a puzzle. Good maths, Dan, congrats. Quick maths. Quick maths, but, you know, I think that's fantastic. I think that's really worth it, but if you, you know aren't interested in spending spending a pound or a dollar on some puzzles then that's fine there are plenty of free ones that you can find on the internet and on the dms guild just make sure that you read as many as you can find as many as you can and then you can mix and match and edit ones that you think are good but not quite good enough even amalgamate some or even combine two or three puzzles into one thing if you think one of them isn't challenging enough the game is yours. You can make it as complicated or as easy as you'd like. Just make sure throughout the whole thing that you're making sure that your players have fun. Hello, we're back from our second short break and we're going to move on to the short questions section. Um, unfortunately, of course, it's been, a, it's been a while since the last one and we haven't had any uh, 
additional short questions to answer. So we have consulted our extensive creative team and they've provided a few questions for us. You'll please do submit your own if you can. All our contact details are going to be at the end of the episode. But for now, what are the questions, Dan? Our first question is, how far ahead do you plan as a DM when homebrewing? Uh, and I think I'll hand over to Zav on that one as he's the current <laughs> big DM in the... Big DMs. Um... <laughs> Again, a very dissatisfying answer, but it really, really depends. I'd say not too much is the real key thing, because I know people who have just started DMing, they feel the need to prepare for absolutely every outcome that there could possibly be, because they, you know, they don't want to have any situation in which they're not absolutely and perfectly prepared for whatever the players have decided to throw at them. But, honestly, as we discussed earlier, the players will always come up with something so buck wild <laughs> that you could never have conceived of it in, you know, your wildest imagination. So, preparing a ton of outcomes is really, really not sensible at all. I'd like, I really, really like to think of how far they could potentially get in the story that I've come up with. Obviously, they might go a little bit further, in which case you're going to have to wing it a little bit, or they might not get that far. By and large, they don't get that far. <laughs> if you imagine as far as you think they're going to get within one session, they almost invariably don't get that far because they spend a lot of time pissing about, basically, doing other things that are entirely unrelated because they find them fun. And that's fine. So don't feel the need to prepare four hours worth of stuff, because in a four-hour session you'll get through two hours worth of stuff, definitely. My advice would be to know how your world works more than to prepare a session, because you never know which direction the players are going to go in, you never know exactly what they're going to do, but if you know who the NPCs are in each area and you know how they act, then, you know, you're, you're golden. And even if you don't have sort of a massive amounts of knowledge of all the NPCs in your area, have a really have a watertight method of generating NPCs on the spot. So I like to have a list of first and last names, male and female, for you know, a given race or group of people in the area and then and then I think Talis and Jaffe on um, a Geek and Sundry video gave some really good advice about whenever he DMs. He uses the Seven Dwarves method, which is fantastic, which is every time you have to generate an NPC on the fly, which is the hardest thing to do as a DM, basically, it's you pick one of the Seven Dwarves and that's their personality. So you, you know, you pick a name that you've already got written down, so you, you don't need to worry yourself about that. You know the kind of thing that the character might know. They live in the area, they vaguely know how it works, you know, things like that. And then you've got a personality on hand because you can, you know, whip up a number generator between one and seven and then, you know, you just get your dwarf who you're imitating. This person might be sleepy, might be dopey, might be Doc, which is basically just, you know, a fairly nice person you know, by and large, maybe a little bit flavourless, but very kind. Is he a you know, doctor? Kind of 
almost definitely. Okay. He's got a PhD in like geology or something. <laughs> well, I don't know. What would a dwarf get? PhD in miners. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a, there's definitely there's a there's a good joke buried somewhere in this. <laughs> I'm sure we could do it. Um, he minored in geology. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we might think we might move on. I'm not that. cutting that out. I hope you really. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, damn. <laughs> I'm in charge of editing this week, guys. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, um, yes, our next yeah. question. Uh, oh, sorry, are you done with that question? No, I'm not done yet. Sorry. Our <laughs> same question. Yeah, I've got to round it off. So basically, the thing that I'd focus on is knowing the surroundings of the, of the area that your players are in and knowing vaguely what the NPCs in that area will know. That is the most helpful thing that you could possibly do. Obviously you've got your various plot points scattered about and you should definitely have a, you know some plot hooks prepared or if you're in the middle of an, an adventure don't really worry about plot hooks just carry on in the way that you'd sort of envisioned in your head but learning how to wing it is the most valuable skill you will ever learn as a DM. Prepare but don't over prepare. Don't spend hours on it. Um, you know, just spend some time reading whatever material, doing a little bit of planning, planning your NPCs, planning your area, but definitely don't overdo it. Because I'm going to be honest, the first couple of sessions you run, you're going to feel like you're underprepared. It doesn't matter how much you're prepared, you're going to feel like you're not ready to do it. But having those two or three or however many sessions it takes to really get used to improvising, thinking on your feet, it makes DMing for the rest of your life so much easier. Okay. Um, our, our next question, um, when it, this is related to one-shots. Uh, yeah. But I think we're going to branch out ever so slightly. Player character deaths, can they ever be good? Yeah. Player character deaths are Yeah, let's just kill everyone. Yeah, I mean, don't kill everyone. I know there's the trope of the DM who really, really loves to murder the player characters. I think that's silly. As a DM, you should definitely not be aiming to murder your player characters. But if your players do something overwhelmingly stupid and one of them gets killed because of it, that is, you know... You can't blame yourself for that if they put themselves, knowing full well that it's dangerous, into a really stupid situation and one of them dies. A, that's a fantastic learning experience. B, that is an amazing plot point. <laughs> okay? Some of the most memorable moments in all of the D&D games I've DM'd and played in have been when a character dies. And dying in one shots is fine it's basically absolutely harmless it's a it's quite a nice way of rounding off uh you know this brand new short-lived character that you invented but it doesn't really have any emotional effect on you but having a sort of long-term player character die can be a genuinely emotional thing and that can be of course it can be difficult for people and you've got to manage that you know as well as you can you've got to you know 
perhaps have a chat with the player afterwards, like help them understand why it happened, things like that, so they don't walk away from the table completely frustrated and feeling like it was so unfair that it happened. Yeah, if you take so. a look at Critical Role for... Mm-hmm. For, for, yes, car- for character, yeah, but I mean, it's a good place to start. Who isn't? Yeah, for character during the the campaign, there are a couple of character deaths. Won't name any names, but yeah, let's not do too many spoilers. Yeah, but but all of the ca- all of the cast members, anytime there's a character death, are immensely upset. Yeah, they're properly emotional. Because obviously, it. their first campaign went on for. A good four or five years. Yeah, quite a long time. Yeah, and like you become they and they played weekly, so that's uh, two hundred and fifty odd game. sessions. Yeah, like that's a long time in game. You get emotionally um, attached to that character, and when it ends, it's like a part of you has gone. Yeah, it's and I mean that's that's very dramatic, but it's sort of it sort of is true, and you know just like you know when when anything ends, it's quite often difficult. You get that feeling once you finish, you know, your favorite TV, any anything between you know your favorite TV show ending and like I don't know a pet dying or something like that. Obviously, I'm not going to go anything beyond that because then it'll get too depressing. But anything between those two things, you know, those are you feel at a loss you feel you know it's difficult to deal with that kind of thing and you know a D character dying is obviously far close to the bottom end of that particular spectrum but it's still difficult to deal with and as long as the players the player character you know the owner of the player character in question understands why it happened doesn't feel that it's completely unfair sees how you know the chain of events or whatever led to their character's death it's a really fantastic way to introduce a new element to the story. Uh, it gives all the other player characters a new driving force. It gives a heroic character a dramatic ending, which is all you know heroes want in these in these stories anyway. A dramatic ending is absolutely the best way to go, or just anything like that. The point, it's. The point of the game is shared storytelling, as we sort of keep going back to, and a death in a book, always sad, or a death in a film, always sad, but they're often the most memorable parts of those films or books, and they're such an important part of the story, and so though it might be difficult, honestly, it's one of the best things that can happen to a D&D game. It reminds you of the mortality of your characters, the importance of playing sensibly and carefully, but also it... The impermanence of life. The, the impermanence of life, but also it, it just makes the game so much more real. It makes it feel real to you, which in the end, that's all we're aiming for. Our last question today is snacks and drinks. <laughs> what should you bring to the table? Because you do need to have that balance between sweet and savoury so you don't crash <laughs> and you don't feel too bloated. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, so I, I don't necessarily know. That's okay, how... I am. Okay, no, that's, that's a lie. Dan, Please. Away you go. I'm a, no, 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 because no, then I'm going to get done for a... libel and I don't want that. You've... You've made a promise to the listeners and you must fulfil it. Okay, 
you know, you've got your classic drinks, you've got your rum, you got your you got your vodka, you got your whiskey, you've got all your, your, you got your hard spirits. <laughs> You've got your four food groups. Rum, <laughs> vodka, Doritos. <laughs> and grapes. Grapes are a healthy option. grapes. Kindly <laughs> grapes are the fourth food group. Oh, that's powerful. Um, yeah, well, I think I it's, think, it's I up think, to you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, me? I, I quite like a bag of Doritos there. But I know that if I yeah. buy a big bag, I'm going to finish the big bag. And then I just yeah, feel done. Um, yeah. Drinks-wise, I mean, whatever you want to drink, it's like... Uh, I mean, that brings, I mean it, that does sort of touch on the important question. If no one else at your table is drinking, don't, don't like, I mean, alcohol, obviously not. Just yeah, if nobody else if nobody else at your table is staying hydrated, please stay hydrated. <laughs> yeah. The last please thing you want. Bone dry for the entirety of the of the session. We want to hear all of your mouth noises. <laughs> mm. Also, if you're driving home after the session, drink responsibly. Yeah. Drink yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been a public or, service. Or don't announcement. drink. Yeah. Just don't drink. Last week Forget we, about Last week we covered the topic of drugs. This week we're covering the topic of alcohol. Yeah, well, forget about being responsible, like, or drinking responsibly. Just don't drink if you're driving. But this is completely unrelated to D&D. I mean, snacks for the game, it's whatever you want. Obviously, don't make yourself feel ill, because that'll ruin <clears throat> yeah. the experience for everyone. But, I mean, definitely bring them. Snacks are an important, they're an integral part of the experience. And I'm telling you, as a DM who... I know I'm going against my previous advice, but I consistently overplan. I'm an anxious person. <laughs> I consistently overplan for games. So if you're playing in one of my sessions, I've probably spent a decent amount of time on it. And just someone else providing snacks for the session is an absolute godsend. It's one less thing I have to worry about. I don't really care what you bring as long as everyone can eat it, as long as it fulfills everyone's dietary requirements. You can all share it together as friends. I don't care. But bringing it and not making your DM do it is mm, that's just exactly. it's like an offering it's like oh yeah here's some crispy cream please don't kill my character well yeah exactly and also you know if you bring a really expensive fancy snack maybe you'll get inspiration for the night who knows maybe you'll get a couple extra gold pieces that just magically appear in your purse yeah i know where did those come from oh. oreos that's where they came from <laughs> Thank you for joining us in Not The Basement. Special thanks to Foil for the use of our theme song Bleach from their EP Like A Man. Our brand new cover art was produced by Edie McQuinney, who is an absolute legend. And I am just going to really, really quickly look up her Instagram because you should really go and see it. It's um, at Edie McArt. At, that's E-D-I-E-M-C dot a-R-T. The dot is a full stop. Don't write out dot, you moron. Um, she it, she has an absolutely lovely style, as you can see. It's really playful, really fun. Get a commission done off her. If you like her stuff, she is definitely down for doing that. Send her a message. She's amazing. We have a Twitter at at DMMePodcast. That's D-M-M-E podcast. Or if you don't use Twitter, you can reach us at DMMEPodcast at gmail.com. I've been Zav. And I've been Dan. 
And don't forget, if you think of any questions before we speak again, be sure to DM me. Bye. Bye. I'm gonna wanna be yours tonight.